This morning I want to preach a message entitled, When God's Grace is Hard to Give. When God's Grace is Hard to Give. Here's a question. How do you respond when you've been wronged by another, especially someone else who's close to you, someone else who's in the body of Christ? How do you respond when you've been wronged by another? I want to start by telling you a story from the perspective of a young man long ago. It's just rumors about a distant country, far too good to be true, a country far away, but as traveler after traveler returns with stories that are just so hard to even believe, they seem more fiction than fact, he's sure of it. And yet as traveler after traveler comes, the legend starts to grow because stories are matching up. You see, before the day and age of the internet or pictures or videos, one could only fathom what you've already seen or what you could possibly imagine or understand. And so when others are bringing stories of untold wealth and entertainment, it sort of starts to create a wanderlust in this young man's heart. If I ever get a chance, I'm going to head to Rome. Because in Rome, there's free bread to be had. In Rome, you can go to the Colosseum, 50,000 seats. It's the modern, it's a prototype of our, many of our modern stadiums. And you can watch gladiator fight gladiator. You can watch slave fight free. You can watch men fight wild animals. And there's even legends that they'll flood the, the bottom of the Colosseum and they'll have simulated Viking wars and ships fighting against each other and you can participate in violence untold. Tired of the Colosseum? You can head over to the Hippodrome, 100,000 seats to watch the chariot races. It's the precursor to NASCAR, right? You tired of the, of the Hippodrome? There is theater after theater after theater. It is 24-7 entertainment and there's free bread to be had. They say, there's a reason they say that all roads lead to Rome. And my bet is, that's why he began to head in that direction. He wants to get lost in the crowd. And he wants to escape his slave master's home. A place where not only he doesn't belong anymore, but he has huge debts to repay. And he just wants to get away. Far away. And so this young man leaves his small hometown in Colossae and makes a trek to Rome. See, in the first century, historians have estimated in the Roman Empire there was about 60 million slaves. Now, depending on which source you're reading from, that's about a third to a half of the entire population of the Roman Empire was slaves. Now, this is a very different type of slavery than the incredibly horrific um, tragedy that played part in the early years of our country where people were kidnapped simply because of their race or the pigmentation of their skin or their ethnicity and they were treated as less than human. It's different from the uh, even modern expression of that where children and women and, and young boys are 
kidnapped and trafficked and exploited for the sexual pleasure of another. Um, the Roman government had integrated slavery deep into their society, the fabric of their society. And so what this actually looked like more realistically was there was free citizens of Rome who were born Roman. Then there was people who were able to purchase their citizenship from Rome, like the Apostle Paul, for example. And there was other people who were free foreigners, as long as they could prove that with papers. And everybody else was slaves. So the interesting thing is, some of the most educated, highly paid workers in the, in, in the empire were slaves. You, you had doctors and lawyers and accountants and professors. They were considered slaves simply because they did not have their Roman citizenship. Now, it doesn't make it okay, but you need to understand the difference. In fact, the population of slaves grew so much that philosopher Seneca, he was a, he was a senator and a philosopher, and he, and he went to the Roman Senate to propose, why don't we identify who the slaves are with some sort of marker, where they have to wear something or somehow identify themselves? Because they look like everybody else. They're the same ethnicity. They're the same language. Like, the slaves look the same as everybody else. And as the Senate was discussing this, they began to realize, do you realize how many slaves there are? If they begin to identify themselves, they're going to realize that they're half of this population. And we probably don't want to deal with an uprising. And so this is what the Roman government, recommended by the Senate, actually deliberated. They said the slave owner has the power, the authority, the, the legal authority to do with their slave as they would like to. Whatever justice you thought was fitting for whatever wrong was done, you have the full authority of the Roman law to do so. Which is obviously a very dangerous thing to give into the hands of slave owners. And so we don't exactly know the scenario. But somewhere on, a young slave named Onesimus runs away from his master in Colossae. And he makes his way all the way to Rome. We don't exactly know how, we just know he was a fugitive slave on the run, and he eventually comes to meet the Apostle Paul in Rome. And in this newfound relationship, the Apostle Paul disciples Onesimus, and Onesimus gives his life to Jesus, and, and now Paul asks him this, you've got to go back home. You've got to go back home to your former slave master, Philemon. And in one of the most unlikely stories of the Bible, we have simply one page. There's no chapters, just verses. It's one tiny parchment paper. And before we jump into it to find the people and places behind this little parchment, what I want to do is help you understand the story, help you see the story that's about to unfold. Because Paul is in Rome for a reason. Paul is under house arrest in Rome. He was planting churches and preaching the gospel all over the Roman Empire until one day the Roman government's like, no, 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 we've had enough of you. You can't do this anymore. There's only one God. Caesar is God. We're going to arrest you. And so they imprison the apostle Paul. And in prison, he's under house arrest, which basically means people can come and go, but he has to stay there. He can't leave. People can take care of you. People can come and bring you things, which is brilliant, by the way, of the Roman government to say, hey, if you're a long-term prisoner, why do we have to take care of you and clothe you and feed you? Let's make other people do that. House arrest. And so in house arrest, 
the Apostle Paul keeps writing letters to this churches, these churches he's planted. Right? He planted a church in the city of Ephesus, so we have a letter to the book of Ephesians from this position. Uh, he planted a church in the city of Philippi. We have a letter to the Philippians, which we studied all last summer. He, uh, church in, Col- or in, in Corinth, so First and Second Corinthians. And so the Apostle Paul keeps writing these letters to these churches, and one of the churches he planted was actually in a small city called Colossae. And there's a home church that was started by the Apostle Paul. It's now grown into a city-wide church made up of a bunch of home churches, much like what we would consider a life group. And a slave named Onesimus has broken away from his master there, and, and this young man, down on his luck, headed to Rome, searching for free bread and free entertainment, and somehow he comes in contact with the Apostle Paul. And Paul realizes, Onesimus, you gotta go back home. I'll help you out. I'm going to write a letter. I'll give you a get-out-of-jail-free card, so to speak. Um, and in one of the most personal stories of redemption in the entire Bible, we have probably one of the more powerful examples for Walloon Lake Community Church of what it looks like to live the gospel out in ordinary life. Um, so if you haven't found the book of Philemon yet, I'm going to give you about 10 minutes to get there. Um, If you hit Hebrews, hit the brakes, and uh, go back one page from the book of Hebrews. Um, We're going to read the entire book of this Bible. Last week was unprecedented. This week is precedented. Um, We're going to read an entire book of the Bible together. So would you go ahead and join me and stand, and we're going to read Philemon together. And it goes like this. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Jesus Christ. And from our brother Timothy, I am writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, and to our fellow soldier Archippus. I I practiced this earlier. (laughs) And to the church that meets in your house. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ Give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. That is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you, consider this as a request from me, Paul. An old man and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. I am sending him back to you and with him comes my own heart. 
I wanted to keep him here with me while I am preaching these chains for preaching the good news. And he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help you because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave. He is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe my... Yes, brother. I must have missed a verse. I'm sorry. Here, let's... Uh... Yeah, let's keep going in verse 20. I'll get to that later. Yes, brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Great job, by the way. You can sit down. As we dive into this very short but powerful letter, I want to point out the big idea right away. I want to highlight four specific things that Paul makes practical for us as we work our way through this letter. So you can kind of know where I'm going with this. And Because when God's grace is hard to give, and this is the big idea, write this down. When God's grace is hard to give, our eternal, we have to remember this, our eternal position is truer than our temporary place. What is true of us for all of eternity is far more true than what is currently true of us only for a temporary amount of time. Amen? What is currently true of you is the most true thing about you. And what is eternally true, I'm sorry, what is eternally true? Did I say currently? What is eternally true of you is the most true thing about you. And what is eternally true of the person next to you? is the most true thing about them. Our eternal position is truer than our temporary place. And so when God's grace is hard to give, this is the first thing that Paul reminds Philemon of, is that our temporary place, we need to put it in its proper place. We need to put your temporary place in your proper place. In other words, consider how to view your place in life in light of your eternal position in Jesus Christ. Notice this, what he says here, verse, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus, and from Timothy. I'm writing to you, Philemon, our, brother, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, and to our fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. 
So you have Philemon here, who's the house church leader, the life group leader, so to speak. His wife is a life group host. They meet in their living room, and Paul knows this. Back in the city of Colossae, Paul had planted this church. It's grown to maybe several homes of churches now. And, and one of those life groups is in Philemon's house. This is a personal letter. In fact, this is one of the only personal letters we have from the Apostle Paul. He writes letters to whole churches, you know, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, not this one. Philemon, I'm writing to you. This involves your wife, this involves your son. Right? Philemon, this is going to hit a delicate issue of slavery. In the Roman household, the wife would have had uh, charge of those who worked in the home and the slaves. So yeah, this includes her. And this is also going to include your wealth and your property that I'm going to ask you to share. So this involves your son. Right? Philemon, I'm writing to you and your wife, Aphia, and your son, Archippus. Now, notice this. He's saying, it's me, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Not, I'm, I'm, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm not a prisoner of Caesar. I'm not... Um, a victim of bad legal rights. I, I'm not wrongfully accused of something I didn't do. He's not trying to justify himself in light of something that happened to him. Paul takes his earthly place in life, where he is currently in life, and he puts this heavenly spin on it. He goes, man, if, I, if I'm going to be in this position, this really helps me deal with what's true of my life right now. And so if you're taking notes, right, make sure you write this down. Our eternal position is truer than our temporary place. So put your temporary place in its proper place. Put your temporary place in its proper place. Your position in heaven, if you follow Jesus, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're a prince, you're a princess in the kingdom of God, you're heirs to the throne. That's eternal. That should always trump where you are in life. Yeah, but Brant, you don't understand. I'm in this like really dead-end job with an employer who's a blockhead. Like I get that. Right? And so every day you wake up and you go, I'm an employee of Jesus. I work for Jesus. I serve him as my master. Now, Brandon, you don't get it. I'm stuck in this marriage. It's, it's unfruitful. It's a loveless marriage. Okay, I'm married to Christ Jesus. I fill up on his love and then I pour it out at home regardless of what love I get in return. Brandon, you don't get it. Like you, You're not in my situation. I'm so frustrated with my government or with local politics that's happening around me. It's making me scared or it's making me angry or it's making me overly aggressive. And so you step out in this world and you go, I am a heavenly citizen. I belong to the eternal kingdom and I'm ruled by a divine king. And so I will treat every single person, no matter if they vote differently than me or not, I will treat them the way King Jesus would treat them. I will see people through an eternal lens. And when we can take where we are in temporary places in life, for Paul, even being in prison in Rome, you can say, you know what? I'm going to let my heavenly position, my eternal position, override my position on earth. You know, I just wonder how many of the struggles here on earth would be played out differently if we saw it as a position God has put us in. See, God's in charge of who's in charge. And the extent to which you believe that will be how you deal with other people around you. It's one thing to believe it here. It's another thing to believe it here. That God's in charge of who's in charge. You're not actually out of control. Nothing is lost. Hope isn't gone. So if this is where I'm at right now and I can't get out of it, let me play my role. 
let me do this faithfully. And so in this one page, Paul three times refers to himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. This is an extremely important thing to note. It's not just good theology, y'all. That's a great way to spend your days, right? Because if I just sit in this home prison, if I just sit in this prison of bitterness, if I just sit in this prison of fear, if I just sit in this prison of worry, if I just sit in this prison of blame-shifting everybody else is at fault and I'm always a victim, if I just sit in this prison and think about what I could be doing and what everybody else has done to me, y'all, I'm just going to get bitter. I'm not going to get better. But if I can see this role that I'm called to play in life, that, that is a role that Jesus has given to me, man, I'm going to make the most of this. So I write to you, Philemon, as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I, I write to you and to your wife and to your son. And this is the second thing he's going to get at in this letter, this expected lifestyle of those who serve Christ Jesus. He's about to mention the importance of putting their faith into action with generosity. Because honestly, it makes no sense to receive so much from God. It makes no sense. The math does not line up. It doesn't compute to say, I have been given an undeserved place for eternity in the presence of the God of eternity, the God of everything, God Almighty, the God who created everything with the breath of his mouth. And then saw me a lowly worm, a sinner who deserved nothing but eternal wrath, and said, I will redeem you. I will take your place. I will call you a son and elevate you to a position in my presence. It makes no sense to receive that from God and not give it to somebody else. It doesn't. No matter who that person is and frankly, how much they've hurt you. And so this is the second thing Paul's going to get at. Since I've been really forgiven, what I have can be freely given. My eternal position is truer than my temporary place. So since I've been really forgiven, what I have can be freely given. Like notice what he says here, verse 4. He says, I always thank my God and I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put action to the generosity that comes from your faith. As you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ, your love has already given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Now, you've got to stop and understand what's happening here for, for, for Philemon. This is amazing, right? You just received a letter from Paul, not for the church, but for you personally. And may I remind you again of Paul's resume. He's in prison, but this is the guy who has planted multiple churches all across the Mediterranean region. This guy writes the Bible. He is the mouthpiece of God for thousands of years. And now you're sitting in your room where your life group meets and you get a knock on the door, open it up, parchment paper, close the door, gone. And you're reading this and you're going... This Oh, um, that, this is for me, from, from Paul. Because Paul, I, I, Paul, I'm writing you. And I just think, like, if I got a, a letter like that from a major authority, like an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
I'd be like, oh boy. Um, I'm going to go read this when no one else is watching me because this is about to hurt. <laughs> uh, yikes. And he starts with like, I have heard about you. I was like, yeah, I know. Oh boy. Here we go. <laughs> I've heard about your home. I've heard about your life group. I've heard about your love for the people in it. I've heard about your love for God's people. And I'm encouraged by how you're loving God's people. And there's another thing I need to say, Philemon. I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you experience the good things we have in Christ. I think that's worth highlighting in your Bible, by the way. In fact, this is why we have one of our core values. We say around here, love is our lifestyle. This is a core value for us at Wildland Lake Community Church. Love is our lifestyle. We are going to share with others what we've received from Jesus. So not giving freely as a natural outworking of your faith might mean actually missing out on something that God has planned for you. Part of God's will for your life includes the natural outflow of what you've already received. Notice this, verse, um, verse 6. I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes where? From your faith. The starting point is the faith. The action step is generosity that flows out of it. It comes from it. As you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. So you now, you've heard the gospel. You've received the goodness of God. And as you are flowing out with generosity, you're putting that into action. As you're experiencing this, you're putting this into action. That is part of what God's plan is for your life. To receive from God and give. To receive from God and give. To receive from God and give. Not fearing that you're going to be depleted because you have an eternal source. I'm going to receive from God and I'm going to give. I'm going to receive from it. And this is like, as I'm receiving this, I'm, I'm putting this into action. Philemon, I, I need you to keep doing this. I don't need you to be missing out on what God has planned for your life. See, Christianity is not a solo activity. We talk about a personal relationship with God. It's in the context of a corporate relationship with God. It's a both and. It's not a solo activity. Christianity has never been simply about, I just find Jesus and I hope to get to heaven someday. And just kind of like play dodgeball with sin in my life. Like Christianity is so much more than that. First we receive what Jesus offers to us, but we don't keep it to ourselves. We, we share it with others. We choose to be a light, a witness, God's love in somebody's life. And so when it comes to this point, I'm hoping everybody here has someone come to mind. Someone very specific. I hope, I hope someone specifically is coming to your mind right now. That this should be true for in, you, in your life. That you're giving to somebody. You're sharing your faith with somebody. You're, you're blessing. You're donating. You're, you're serving. You're helping. You're putting your time in. Because I think too often Christians do this. They're like, well, I'm just called to love everybody. I kind of hate that. <laughs> because like, yes, but like, no. Like sometimes I think saying we love everybody is an excuse not to put in the hard work to love someone specifically. Yeah, try to love everyone, but be strategic about someone God has put in your life. There is someone in your family, in your neighborhood, in your job, in your 
sports team, in your classroom, that God has put close to you because they need what he's given you. Put into action your generosity. I've given you so much, don't keep it to yourself. And and then, here comes one of the best drive-by guiltings in all of history. Um, Verse 8. That is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's the right thing to do, but because of our love, like... Hey, you're great, you're great, you're great. Keep sharing your faith. I've heard the great things. Now as an apostle of Christ Jesus, I could order you. But instead, I'm just going to ask. Like, how do you play that card, that apostle card? Like, hey, son, I'm going to go ask you to clean your room or I'm going to ground you for three years. But I'm sure you'd love to go clean your room, right? Yes, dad. Oh, good. I'm glad I didn't have to play that card. Did you? I'm sure as the apostle I could order you, but I'm just going to (laughs) ask. But I prefer simply to ask you, consider this as a request from me. Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner. Like, this is getting good. Um, (laughs) Oh, by the way, I'm not going to just like lay the apostle card on you, but also consider I'm old and I'm in prison. Would you just please help me? Which is really entertaining, but it's actually, it brings us to the heart of the letter. The real reason Paul is writing to Philemon. He's getting to something that's actually, he wants to come out of Philemon's heart, not just his fear of disobedience. Because when God's grace is hard to give, which it is going, you're going to be about to see that it's very hard for Philemon to give. When God's grace is hard to give, Paul's saying, don't view your condition from a temporary disposition. In other words, it's Jesus who defines who you are. Jesus has redefined your life. If, if you were once a sinner and then you heard about the grace and love and mercy of Christ to offer you salvation from the consequence of your sin and God put faith inside of you and you trusted in Jesus and he's the Lord of your life, And he redefines everything about your life. You now have this eternal position. Philemon, live like that's true. Don't make relationship decisions based on things that are not going to last forever. Church, don't make significant relationship decisions based on things that won't last forever. Don't view your condition from a temporary disposition. You want to Verse 10, he says, um, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. Wait, 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 wait. Philemon had to go back and reread that. My child, Onesimus? Wait, this was a great letter. Onesimus! What? Onesimus! Onesimus, you know where Onesimus is, do you? Do you know what we've been looking for that guy? There's a warrant out for his arrest. Do you know how much he's stolen from us? Onesimus! Okay, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm real curious to see what you're about to say now. I appeal to you to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus has been much used to you in the past. And now he is very useful to both of us. 
I'm sending him back with you, and with him comes my whole heart. And there's, there's comedy here. I, there's, there's a hilarious wordplay that I think maybe even disarms Philemon a little bit. Uh, it, 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 you, he, you, I wonder if he, Philemon just read that and had to like smirk almost. Your slave has not been much use to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. You want to be let in on the joke that Paul's laying on Philemon here? It's this. Onesimus' name, the literal translation of Onesimus is like helpful or useful. He's using the same word. I appeal to you on behalf of your slave, useful. I met him in prison. He's a son to me. He once wasn't useful to you, but now he is useful. Like he didn't live up to his name when he was with you. You think? Now he has lived up to his name. He's met Jesus. He's found out who he is and what his potential is and his identity. And this, this is going to be a tough ask, Philemon, but here we go. And then he gets something that I think is extremely hard to live out. This gets personal. I wanted to keep him here with me. Yeah, go for it. Keep him. I don't want him. While I'm in these chains for preaching the good news. And he would have helped me on your behalf. You should have been helping me here, but he's doing your job for you. Um, he would have helped me on your behalf, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you, Philemon. To help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while. So that you could have him back forever. And this is very hard for Philemon to read. He is no longer a, like a slave to you. He's more than a slave for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. And now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. And so if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would have welcomed me. If he's wronged you in any way, oh yeah, if he owes you anything, let me show you the receipt. Charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention to me that you owe to me your very soul. But notice this, he's telling Philemon to view his condition not from a temporary disposition. He just finished telling him, Jesus has redefined who we are. He redefines who I am here in prison. He's redefined who Onesimus is. And now that he has an eternal position, he's going to specifically make this point to Philemon about the one person he does not want to hear about. You ever... You ever had your day going so great and you think you're, you're killing it with life decisions and then like something comes up of that one area you still haven't dealt with and it's just like, I thought I was doing good. I, I thought I was like, and, and Paul's speaking to Philemon here going like, no, no, you are, you are, you are, but you need to get this right, Philemon. What the gospel looks like in everyday life is that on the line. You need to get this right, Philemon. See, the free grace of God applied to our lives, applied to our helpless lives is amazing. It's awesome to write songs about, to praise God for, to, to journal about. And you're like, yes, God loves me. But it gets scandalous when the same thing can be said 
of the person who's wronged you. When you realize that it's actually true about some other person, especially in the faith, that you don't believe deserves anything but punishment and scorn. That's when the gospel becomes scandalous. But the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes that for everyone, for every believer. That compared to eternity and the immense gap that I had to cross to get to heaven, to be forgiven, to be approved by God, you and I are the, realistically the same distance away. And both of us have been brought close in Christ Jesus. And so if he's redefined my life and he's redefined your life, what that means is he's redefined our relationship. Philemon lived like that's actually true. See, this is the challenge. To see others the way God sees them. Through the lens of Jesus. And when you do, here's the thing. When you do this, you are showing somebody else. You're showing the world around you what the love of God, what the grace of God is like. They get to experience how God's grace works because they met you. In other words, you show God's grace. I'm sorry, you show God's face when you give free grace. At least it's free to them. It might be personal cost to you. But you show God's face. You reveal what God is like. You are the most in the image of God when you are giving grace to somebody who does not deserve it. Because you might just be the only way someone else sees what God is like. And you're going to do that in how you forgive and how you reconcile and how you work for peace. Your eternal position is far truer than your temporary place. So you show God's face when you give free grace. Guys, most of this world hears what church people have to say. And I've got to be honest, the reviews are not great these days. I was just scrolling. I, it was an email that seemed to have no end of article after article after article after article after article of churches that are not living like that's true, that are abusing their power, of Christians who are shunning people because of pastors suing their churches. And I, I don't think the reason that people are fed up with Christians these days has a whole lot to do because of the name of Jesus Christ that we bear. Like, yes, when you live passionately for Jesus, you will experience persecution. I don't think that's the reason for many in America today. In fact, I think a lot of times when we do get pushed back, it's probably closer related to the fact that when we are personally slighted or when reconciliation comes at a cost, it's not Jesus that we look like. Like you can say you follow Jesus all day long, but when it comes to actually offering grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation at, tr at personal cost, that's when the church shows the world what Jesus is like. Philemon, live the gospel. 
And something interesting is the Apostle Paul, in all of his letters but this one, mentions something about the death and resurrection of Jesus and its implication for believers. He never mentions that at all in this letter. And I, and I think there's a reason why. Notice this. We see here Paul speaking the hard truth to Onesimus. Onesimus, you need to repent. You need to turn around and go back and make what was wrong right. Onesimus, you need to repent and do the 180, go the other way and reconcile. And then he is encouraging grace from Philemon. You, you need to let it go, Philemon. You need to forgive Onesimus. In the difficult tension between truth and grace, in that tension, Paul stands as a mediator to say, I will repay. Paul's demonstrating the gospel. Paul's showing the world what it looks like to hold that tension between truth and grace, to say, I will pay the cost. I will make up the difference. I will be the mediator. I will work for peace. If he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Now, what's the logical outcome of that truth? Look at this, verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Why? Because I'm going to repay it. The debt's already taken care of. The difference has been made up. You've been made brothers in Christ. You stand on the same plane. You've received the same grace. You've both been forgiven. And in a human relational context, I'll repay the difference. Yes, brother, verse 20, please do this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement. I'm confident, actually, that you'll do more than what I ask. Philemon, your eternal position is truer than your temporary place. While in Lake Community Church, your eternal position is truer than your temporary place. Just a quick review, your temporary place. Put your temporary place in its proper place. Since you've been really forgiven, what you have can be freely given. Don't view your condition from a temporary disposition. You show God's face when you give free grace. Church, your eternal position is truer than your temporary place. Now, I don't know this for a fact, but it makes an amazing ending. In about 105 AD, one of our early church fathers wrote a letter to the bishop of Ephesus, a leader of a bunch of churches in Ephesus. It was about 90 miles away from Colossae, and it was delivered about 40 years after the letter to Philemon was delivered. There's a letter written to the bishop of Ephesus that starts like this. Dear Onesimus, I hope this letter finds you well in walking in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. 90 miles from his home, some 40 years later, and there's a leader of a group of churches named Onesimus. Could be a coincidence. I like to think that the way a church loves someone who had no right to be there, someone that didn't fit in, someone that didn't have the right papers, someone that didn't live the lifestyle they agreed with, 
but the way he was loved 40 years later, the way that the community he was a part of held on to the tension between truth and grace, he now leads a church of his own because grace and mercy and forgiveness, they're contagious. And if they're not contagious, it's not real. Be careful if you think you can't offer grace and work, with, work for peace with that person because it seems to be the basis by which you've been forgiven. It's a big deal. Continue to allow the grace and the peace of God to shape who you are and most importantly how you love because in this church, we will continue to hold on to truth unapologetically. And yet, church, the experience at all three of our campuses of love has to win out. People cannot come here and leave and feel like they were just kicked over the head with the things that you know. They need to meet the embodiment of love, Jesus Christ himself. They need to see God working in you, putting into action the generosity that comes from your faith. What a powerful page in our Bible. That's a one-hit wonder. God, may we be the church that lives out that one page. Let's pray. Father, you have redefined this life, this community, these relationships through the death and resurrection of your son. And God, I pray that you would help us to truly believe that. To receive it in all of its scandalous glory that we never deserve, but also to give it in a way that reveals your eternal grace. I pray, God, that we would be a community that is known passionately for how we love. That when people come here, they meet you. They fall in love with you because they've met us. And they're shown how to walk closer to you the longer they stay and the more they hear your word preached. Lord, I pray that we would be a community that hangs on to truth and to grace. And may we be known for putting our generosity into action, the natural outflowing of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.